I don't wanna go to work. I just wanna chill and play all day. Look him dead in the face and say, I wish I could just be still asleep while you work. Welcome back to season four of the Jobs Blow podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Haas, and this is the podcast for dreamers with and without day jobs. This week's show is called Family First with father, musician, and business owner, Ray Castronovo. Welcome to the show, Ray. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes. And as I said to you before we started the show, your last name reminds me of Casanova. So I don't know if there's anything you might want to tell me about your past, Ray. Were you a Casanova in your day? That's a good question. (laughs) So I'll say that maybe I'm not fully understanding the definition of Casanova. (laughs) Okay. So you're pleading ignorance. Okay. (laughs) All right. We're off to a brilliant start, Ray. Okay, so you're here to talk to us about the career journey that you put on hold and that you're pursuing now, which we always love to talk to someone who is pursuing a passion. But before we get started, I wanted to read you a quote that I found that I thought was fitting to um, your story. It is, I was selfish before, everyone is, but when you have kids, they become your main priority. And I don't think you know that David Beckham is the person who said that, but I thought knowing what you came here to talk about today, that that felt fitting. Do you agree? I agree. Yep. That's what made me do and what I had to do to carry on because of having children. Okay. So set the stage. Canarsie, Brooklyn. Ray is born. He's first generation Italian. Did I get it right? You got it. All right. All right. So little Ray is born in Brooklyn and develops a passion for guitar playing. Yeah. So, right. When I was about 12 years old, well, what happened was, oh, it's actually, I got to give a lot of credit to a a neighbor of mine who was still really close. So Stephen Proto was a neighbor and I used to sit with him when I was about eight years old and he used to play this piano and play this classical music as a kid. I always sat there and I just always dreamed about making music like he did. So then as, you know, time goes on, I had a uh, liking for the guitar. And then when I saw Michael Jackson doing what he did as a young kid, I said, you know what? He could do it. Let me do it. So I started playing guitar at about 12 years old. But your dad was not Joe Jackson. The... (laughs) The manager from hell. So. Oh, right. Right. So. Okay. So did you pursue music throughout like middle school and high school? Yep. So what I did was also, you know, I started taking some guitar lessons. I used to walk to my lessons as a kid and I used to walk home and through high school. And then, you know, I found a drummer friend of mine that got together. His name is Mike. I found another bass player, another little backup singer. His name was Tom. And then we formed the Raytomics. And that was the one. Then we played all places throughout Manhattan, a lot of theaters from the Gildersleeves to Kenny Castaways to the Mud Club to CBGBs. And it was like some of that punk rock was in there. Oh, wow. Did you play with any bands that we might recognize? You might recognize the Sex Pistols. Oh, wow. I bet that was an interesting show. That was an interesting show. It really was. Yep. 
Okay. So you do this all through school and high school and you get to age 20 and you were telling me you had an interesting offer. Yeah, we did. So we had a, ma- a major record label that was interested in us. And they were going to, they asked us to record at a recording studio in Manhattan called the Hit Factory. And the owner of the Hit Factory is Eddie Germano. So I went to the Hit Factory, not knowing where I was going. And then when I walked into this place and I seen platinum and gold albums hanging everywhere, you know, I said, oh my goodness, where am I? I started to get that, you know, a little butterfly feeling in your stomach. And then when I got to the front desk and the lady called up to Mr. Germano and he said, send them up. We hit it off real good. So Eddie Germano, the owner of the hit factory used to be a concrete truck driver and he always sang in lounges and he was a real, real big heavy set guy and he never was able to make it in the music industry. So he started the recording studio, the hit factory. And then it just became this big, massive recording studio and it was at that time, it was the only recording studio in the in the um, in the world that was able to house the Philharmonics. So let me ask you, because I know that your dad was in the concrete business, right? Yeah. So did you bond with him over that? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I never even thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> You know what it was? We had that, he had that way, that Brooklyn Italian way, and I did too. And he, he almost like took me under his wing. Okay. So you start working with him. You have this opportunity, you and your two band mates. Yeah, no, we didn't even pursue it. I went home and told my pregnant wife what I was doing. And then she kind of, listen, she, nice Italian girl. She gave, made me an offer and said, I don't think you're going down that road because if you go down that road, this road here could might not work. So I want to want you to think about it a little bit and see if that's what you want to do. And I'm not saying it exactly the way she said it, but I want you. (laughs) Were there some was there some foul language used in that? (laughs) Maybe. I have a couple things to say here. So I understood that you made the decision, but now I'm starting to think that you were given an. You weren't given much choice, Ray. I'll tell you, there was an influence. Exactly. (laughs) It definitely was an influence. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. So she gave you the option. How quick were you to to make that choice? I thought it was not a difficult choice. It was because I'm saying to myself, I'm not going to miss out on my child being born and not being around for it. So it was probably the better decision. It's because, the admirable decision, I have to say. Right. So I went back and I had to let the record company know that I'm not moving forward. And then I went up to the hit factory and spoke to Eddie Germano and I told him I'm not moving forward. And he says to me, Raymond, if you ever need me for anything, you call me. If you change your mind, you just let me know. He gives me his card with his phone number on it. If you ever need me, call me. I had a picture of the, you know, like a pamphlet of the hit factory and the recording. He signed it. Raymond, friends always, Eddie Germano. And I kept it. So now I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So now I go, I create this construction company. I work. I do high rise buildings in Manhattan. It worked out really well for us. So I get to a point 
where uh, I'm ready to relocate and come out here. And I find this building. Wait, out, 19- here, out here is Long Island. Out here is Long Island. Yep. And, out in the Riverhead. Yep. We move out of Brooklyn. Well, I have all, you know, all buildings and all my, my offices were there. I had a summer house out on the North Fork. And I want to stay out here. And I want my kids to grow up out here. So I find this really old, beautiful building that reminded me of Brooklyn. It was built in like 1924. And... It was a fraternity that they lost members. It was a, It's called the Independent Order of Oddfellows. So I don't know if anybody heard of that, but there's a thousand lodges throughout the world. You've probably driven by a few of them. So they, in the late 1700s, they were a spinoff of the Mason's Lodge, which most people heard of. And then the a couple of grand noble marshals had a feud and they broke away and they started the Independent Order of Oddfellows, IOLF. So why are they oddfellas? Is because they had a lot of money and they built a lot of nursing homes, uh, a lot of foster homes for kids and throughout the world. And that's why they gave their money away. So this is one of their fraternity buildings that I, it was like a temple that I bought right from them. When I got to the third floor about six years ago, there's a big 5,000 square foot ballroom. There's disco lights up there. There's dance floors. You probably saw a little bit of it earlier. Yeah. And I told my daughter, I said, Cassandra, you know, I'm going to try to get as good as I was and even better. And then I'm going to do some, you know, a couple of little discussions and see and reach out to the people who supported me back then and see if I could do it again. So she goes, go for it. Because I don't have to worry about now, by the way, somebody giving me any alternatives anymore. (laughs) I got my four kids, they're grown, they're out of the house, and I can do and travel where I want because I don't have to worry about that anymore. Okay, wait. So back up for a minute. How? So this was in the 80s when we had the offer. And how did the two gentlemen in your band respond when you were like, sorry, I'm out. This record deal is not happening. The uh, Tom doesn't talk to me anymore to today. I try to reach out to him. He just crickets all the time. But Mike, the drama. So he ended up going away to California to become a stuntman. And then. Wow. Yep. And he came back and he ended up being the head of the East Coast Stuntmen's Association. And he's re- he does really well for himself. He did all the Sopranos stunts. He does a lot of stunts. And now his daughter is into stunts now. Is so he- me and Mike still stay in touch. Wait, how old is Mike? He's still doing stunts. He Mike is about probably 54 or 55. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yep. That's getting up there for the stuntman yeah. world, I would assume. Yeah, he's selective. He coordinates a lot. His daughter is big in it, so he's still in the mix of it all. Okay, yeah. so I noticed that you didn't mention the woman who gave you the option. Is, is she still around? No. <laughs> okay, so. Actually, you know what? We're still really, really, really good friends. Well, we that- really are. I actually go golfing with her husband. Oh, okay. So we're really good friends. I, you know, I have a, a bunch of stuff that we have in common and it's best for the kids that 
no matter what, just where those kids are the most important thing. Oh, 100%. You're right. one of the most mature parents from the 80s I've ever spoken to. Well, you know, <laughs> I lived, I said, I can say this because I was really poor at one time and I lived in a welfare hotel. So she can not have to go to work and bring up the kids and not worry about anything. And I took care of everything. Wow. So you then, because you did not pursue the music career, you were telling me you instead went into construction, correct? Yeah. Okay. And that was a business that your father had, he had a masonry business that you were involved in. So is that kind of how it all came about? Yeah. So he was in the, he was in the masonry and concrete business and that was real hard labor. So I went and I decided that I can't do that my whole life. I have to get some kind of an education. So when I graduated Canarsie High School and I listen, I, I laugh because it's fun. And I decided to go to college and I tell people I went to college and I went for four months because I was learning so much so fast that the other students was taking hours. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to work for a successful construction company and that's going to be my college. And I'm going to learn how they run their business so I can go and duplicate that. And that was the best decision I made. And my first and last job, I worked for a big construction company. And after about six or seven years, the owner said, do you want to learn to run my construction company? I said, yeah, I'll want to learn it. He goes, but there's only one thing you have to do for me. I said, what's that? He goes, you have to go to some Dale Carnegie courses. I said, why is that? He says, because you need to learn manners. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. (laughs) You're out there. You know, I'm a kid from Brooklyn. We know how to handle men very well. And men, that's in my office, by the way, when my daughter runs it, there's 13 women and three men. Well, good for because, you. But I was going to say, I don't, I, in my experience, I haven't met a lot of construction workers on the street with, that have gone to Dale Carnegie for <laughs> any sort of lessons. Because I was rough. It was rough. And I was rough. And I had to learn a couple of ways on how to keep, you know, moving forward and just lighten up my whole approach. So I learned from him. And then he, his brother ended up passing away with a brain aneurysm. And Roger was an older fella and they wanted to shut the company down. So that's how I started. I said, I'm going to go into business for myself. And the problem was, he said, you're going to have one problem. I said, what's that? He goes, you know how to build buildings too big. You got no money. And I said, I need money to do that. He says, you need money to do that. So make a long story short, 25 years later, we're doing all right. So you built a successful construction company. And then you started to say you reached a point. I know your daughter, Cassandra, is helping run the company now you said yeah she actually runs it she just told me the other day that she does three times what i do so i said great that's the way i like it <laughs> see you know why your path has has been so good is because women have been showing you the way the whole You're time right. 100 percent. 100 percent. when did you decide to return to music then How long so when you- i bought this when i bought this building about three years ago when i saw the ballroom on the third floor i told cassandra and by the way my my son is coming to work with her in about three months. He's a real high profile construction litigation attorney. So those two, I know will carry on <laughs> and they both support everything I'm doing. So I went up to the third floor and I said, you know what? 
now is a good time. I'm going to see if I can get as good as I was. And I'm going to reach out to the people who supported me back in the 20s because I had I still had Eddie Germano's from the Hit Factory's folder with his name in it. And I still had my contact from I'm not going to I can't say who it was, but this major record label that was interested in us. So I took about first I took about, let's say, about a year and I wrote and got some roughs on a whole album. And then I reached out to the record company and the recording studio and the record company welcomed us in. But when I looked at that contract again, because in the construction world, I know real good about contracts. I decided that I don't need their money anymore. They own 75% of these poor musicians. They get 25% of the musician. They're required to produce and produce, and they really don't have the knowledge to know what's going on in that record company world. They're just workers for them. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start my own record company. And I'm the first guy I'm signing up and I'm going to learn the path, which I'm almost at the end of it now. And I'm going to help other musicians once I master this. So once I decided not to go to that record company anymore, I reached out to the hit factory and my daughter laughs. She goes, dad, did you look at the clientele that the hit factory has? <laughs> They're going to hit delete as soon as they get your email. <laughs> your email. So I said, Cassandra, if I don't try, I can't say that I tried and I failed or I won. So I got Eddie Germano's papers and I got everything that he had given me. I took pictures of it. I attached it and I wrote the story to the hit factory. And then I find out that Eddie Germano had passed away about three years prior to me reaching out to them because he was a heavy set guy and he had this like lap band around his stomach, I guess, to help him not eat as much. And then when they undid it, he ended up with a bad infection and he passed away. But his son, Troy Germano, remembered everything. So first, Troy says, send me some music. I sent him some music. Then he says, why don't you come and meet me? I guess he wanted to see that I had teeth in my mouth. He wanted to see that I was still presentable. And then I met Troy. And from then to now, about two and two, two and a half years, me and Troy developed a real bond. Actually, tomorrow night we have a dinner in Manhattan, me and Troy. So I recorded there and then I learned the whole record company process. And so then we recorded, we released our first album about eight months ago. And now the second one is supposed to be released in about, I would say, four to six weeks. Okay. couple things here. First... Yep. Do you have a band again? And if you do, did you invite back the one gentleman who still talks to you? No. No. So what I did was I wanted to find the right musicians that would work with me. So I found these real good musicians. And to say even have even more confidence that my wife had the right decision and gave me a hard time to make the path. These guys are struggling. So I have a bass player who toured the world with Chubby Checker, Irina Cara, and Gloria Gaynor, and he struggles. So I pay him for his times. Like, it's his job. These are on my payroll. He is an amazing bass player, timekeeper, that he's a dying breed. Well, I was going to say, if he toured with Chubby Checker, 
What are we talking about here, Ray? Joe? Yeah, how old is Joe he? Joe's turning his update. He's probably around 71 about now. Okay, Ray, I respect a man who does not practice ageism. I love that about you, Ray. Yeah. Giving these old timers some work. That's amazing. Yeah, and Joe is a built-in metronome. That guy is all he's he's intimidating because at the time that he keeps, and you get that eyebrow, you're done. He gets Joe. We rehearsed today, and Joe is on spot. He's our timekeeper. And then I recruited this sax player who's toured everywhere as well, Carl Obrick. And then I have another guitarist who's um he grew up, I would say Paul is probably like in his late 50s and he played with some really good names and then i met through a friend so i'm looking for a drummer and drummers to me they got to have a specific way about them as far as i mean you could have some great drummers they just don't speak the same language and speaking our language you have to so i get asked so what kind of genre do you have a lot and I got stumped a few times because I couldn't figure it out. And I told, I mentioned, I said, I'm going to make my own, make up my own genre. I'm going to call it music stew because we learned from the legends, the BB Kings, the Freddie Kings, the Louis Armstrongs. And then as you go on and you get the Eric Clapton's and the Rolling Stones are still going. And then we got a touch of Motown and then the disco kicked in. So what we have, if you listen to the music, we have a little touch of everything in there. So a friend of mine, Corey, who runs an electronic shop, he goes, I want you to meet this girl, Linda. So I said, okay, let's bring Linda in. And then Linda, she's about five foot, and she is the most passionate drummer you can have. And then she's like a stick of dynamite if you got to kick her up. She's re- Linda is an amazing drummer. So we, I recruited some real good seasoned musicians. You really should have documented your journey like when you decided to reach back out to people that you spoke to 30 40 years ago to restart your career that right there would have really made an interesting documentary the fact that you missed the original Jermaine or what's his name Eddie the fact that you only missed him by three years I'm impressed because I was like there's no way that guy's still around all right so it's funny you say that so right now we're writing, and I, I just spoke to somebody about a week ago who is like a writer of plays in Manhattan. I said, listen, that's one of my weaknesses. I have strengths in math. I have strengths in organizational skills, but I'm never going to win a spelling bee. And I really have situations with like grammar type things. But nowadays there are people that do that. So he says, Raymond. I'm going to give you a screen right. You don't need to think about anything. You just talk and they will put it in places. So that's happening in about three weeks. And we're starting Streetwise, the musical. Wait, that's funny you say that. For a Broadway show? Or, for or- a Broadway show. We're going to start the musical. and with some, So maybe a, mu- a movie first and then transposing it. And it's going to be the whole story. One day when we're not recording, I could tell you a little bit more about my history growing up in Canarsie. Okay. All you got to do. I have a feeling there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on. <laughs> so all you got to do is Google okay. the Gemini Lounge. Okay. This and then that'll give you an indicator. <laughs> sounds like a whole different show I need to be doing. It's a whole different show. 
And you know what we learned to do? We learned to control men. <laughs> you learned to what? Control men, dysfunctional, egotistical oh. men. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's what's in the construction world too. Yeah. Right. Every once in a while, they want to get a little different, but we fix them. Interesting. So how did you, the idea of a show come up? And My bass player, Joe. 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 Joe's been Joe. around. He's got all Joe the ideas. Said, he comes up one morning and we're playing, we're rehearsing. And he goes, you know, I was thinking of Streetwise the musical. So on this Friday, I can't mention his name, but next week, if I communicate with you, I will. Okay. So one o'clock on Friday, this is the second time he's coming at us. I have a meeting with a seven Grammy Award winning hey, music producer manager who has an interest in Streetwise. I want to see what he says. Wow. Well, what's it called? Who was the uh, Frankie? Was it Frankie Valley? The the one that was on Broadway for a while? The for, was it the Four Seasons? That yeah, was? yeah, yeah. I feel like it's not around anymore, right? Or is it still? Wow. I feel like you could be like the the next generation's version of that. Right. Oh my God, this is so interesting. So Linda, is she also in the same age range or is she like a younger little powerhouse on the drums? No, Linda is, a, is younger. Yeah, she's young. She's probably, Linda's, I think, you know, I don't ask her age, but if I had to guess, she's in her maybe mid forties. What, you know, that's chronological, biologically. I think she's probably around maybe 30, 35. That's why when anyone asks my age, is this chronological, biological? No, I, I I totally feel that. I have a really big birthday happening this Sunday. Very big. You do? And I do not feel, I do not feel the age at all. No, you're not good. I don't even feel that. I don't even know what the numbers mean. No, I say it's the youngest I'm going to be for the rest of my life. So I celebrate <laughs> it, right? That's right. Yeah. In 30 years, I'll be wishing I was this age. So I'm going to just embrace it. So I know you mentioned you're going to, you are going to be performing. Where will you be performing? In all right, New so- York or... Yep. So we're starting right out here. So my son, who I tell you, he's the attorney, he was elected to be a candidate for a man of the year for the Leukemia Lymphoma Foundation. So we're starting this fundraiser to raise some money for that. The Leukemia Lymphoma Society. So I said, you know what, Raymond, this is what we're going to do. I am starting to get tour dates as of May. I said, so the first one, I couldn't have an album release party with the first album because all this COVID stuff is going on and things aren't right. I said, so I'm going to have a double album release party and I'm going to give all the proceeds to the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. So we're starting on May 6th, Friday. So right away, we're at this Suffolk Theater. It's a big theater. And we're going to put on our first show. And it's almost, I mean, we're, we're selling a lot of it with sponsorship and tickets and things like that. And then after that, we have a whole chain of events. We're going to start heading west, and then we'll start making our way around. And if someone is listening that wants to find, um, follow your tour, where would they, do you have a website? Yeah, so we have an Instagram. It's uh, streetwiseNYC. We have a website that's streetwiseny.com. So everything will start getting posted probably in about a week or two. Okay. And you didn't mention, do any of your children share your love of music? But they don't play instruments, but they do love what I do. And they just, 
they give me so much support. They really do. But nobody, nobody has interest in singing or playing instruments. No, no. But they remember when they were kids, it's me playing my guitar and doing my thing and, uh, you know, just moving forward with our music. No, that's of four kids. You would have thought maybe one. That's surprising. No, they, they've tried it. My son played violin in high school, but he gave it up for a, a lacrosse stick. My daughter, I have pictures. I had her on a bass for a little while, but she gave it up. You know, they, it takes a certain person because you got to discipline yourself. I say, to you know, I have a lot of young people in here working with Cassandra that take the tools of my life and make them work for you. But you need two ingredients because I'm not very well educated, but that doesn't mean you're not smart. You need the desire to succeed and the self-motivation. You have those two ingredients. You can move anywhere you want and conquer your dreams. Yeah. Very inspiring, Ray. What is your ultimate goal for your music career? What would you like? What would you like to see? I want to tour the country and then I want to tour Europe and I want to just play and make and share what we have and make people happy. And, you know, we write stories. Our music is stories that actually happen in life. So fighting the dragon, my father had was passing, was, you know, he was on his last legs in a hospital. I went down to the fifth floor to hang out with the kids because he wasn't around. And I had this little boy come up to me and he says, you know what, mister? Sometimes I, you know, has no hair on his head. You could tell he was struggling. Sometimes I feel like I have these dragons inside of me. And sometimes they're breathing fire. So I went up, I sat next to my father and I wrote the lyrics to Fighting the Dragon. I told him, we all have our dragons inside us and sometimes they all breathe fire. Just hang in there and everything will be all right. Then there's another song called Better Place. It's about, it doesn't matter gender, race, creed or color. If you all stick together, you can make this world a better place. Then I have Dream Girl. And I say, you know, when I open up and I talk about Dream Girl, because we played a bunch of little open places last. I says, listen, some of you guys have your Dream Girl. Some of you guys are still looking for your Dream Girl. And some of you guys have an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ray, let me ask you on that note. Yeah. How different or would you say similar is the music that you write now compared to going back? It's different. It's different. We have, yeah, we have like, there's a beat. We have like a 50s sound. We have uh, a rock and roll sound. You know, we have some blues that we kick it up a notch. We could get spicy. So I have spicy music. We have love songs and we have fun music. Back then when we were playing these places, we kind of had that little aggressive punky feel and it was a little bit more, let's say not as orchestrated as the music is now. Okay. And what about your lyrics though? Do you feel like the wisdom of your years when you write music takes you in a different direction than obviously when you were in your twenties? It does. I was going to say, I can't imagine when you were 20, you were writing the lyrics that you were just talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. All right. Well, so what about your record label? What? Yeah, so it's called Dayquest Records. Okay. It's called Dayquest Records. And, you know, this is, I'm the first guy that we signed up. 
So we have entertainment attorneys. I'm going through the process so I can learn the chain of events. So right now I'm the guy that's like the tour manager. I have Abigail. She's helping me as like one of my assistants to do it, working through the theaters, how they work, the, the staging, the layout, the lighting, things like that. I'm assuming you will not take 75% because you're going to be a different kind of label, right? Oh, yeah, right. I want to guide them to do it themselves because today today it's a whole different way. You know, you don't make money in the recording and putting your music on the internet world. That doesn't do it. You make money in the show world. And then once you get to a certain level and your music starts becoming successful, then it gets into the commercial world. And then it gets into the movie world and things like that. So it's a, it's, a, it's a lot different than selling albums. Right. So do you have somebody who, with the music that you have on your albums, that actively tries to maybe place them in TV or movies? Yeah. So I have a, a great company called Gramophone. They're an international PR company. And Beatrice, one of the presidents, took us on personally. So she's our PR, social media agent, and things come from her. She's really good. Yes, I know Beatrice. That's how I got to you. Oh, right. <laughs> That's right. Beatrice is right. She has got it. Man, let me tell you. Well, this has been a fun conversation. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to talk to you because you've got stories, Ray, and I'm sure you have more that I would love to, to hear. But we've come to the part of the show where I like to play a game with my guest. So I thought I read that it was a 30-year gap between your music career, but now you said the 80s. So I feel like I'm in the wrong decade with my game, but you're just going to have to go with it. All right. Yeah. Okay. So the game is 1992 versus 2022 music edition. So I'm going to name something that was famous in 1992 in the music world versus something today. And you tell me which one you prefer. Okay. Yeah. And if you even know some of these. So in 1992, the popular movie Aladdin was in theaters and the song, a whole new world was on the charts. Today we have Encanto and we don't talk about Bruno. Do you know that song? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I know the one from Aladdin. Okay, so we'll go 1992 for you on that one. Okay, 1992 Sir Mix a Lot or 2022 Lizzo? 1992 Sir Mix a Lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, this is a trick question. I'm going to um, I'm going to name two bands that toured in 1992 and two that are touring in 2022 and I want you to tell me which year these bands are touring, okay? The first are U2 and The Grateful Dead. They didn't tour together, but they toured either in 1992 or 2022. The other two are Rage Against the Machine and Elton John. Which two toured in 1992 and which two are touring now? Oh, that's a good one. Right? Yeah. So it's either U2. And the Grateful Dead toured in great in 1992. And who was 2020? Elton John. Rage Against the Machine and Elton John. So you're saying 92 for you two and Grateful Dead and 2022 for the other two? You yeah. are right. You are right. right. Okay. All right. Here's another choice. Mariah Carey or Olivia Rodrigo? Mariah Carey. 
Okay. All right. All right. And now this one is just, I'm interested in knowing your choice. Record, eight track, cassette, CD, or streaming? All right. So I know them all. So the more quality comes from streaming, but eight track, cassette, CD, was that one of them? Yes. Or streaming? Well, no, I'm just saying which which of those options is your favorite way to listen to music? Record, eight track, cassette, CD, or streaming? Now? Ever. Streaming. In all time, of all time, if you could I listen. gotta say streaming. Really? Yeah. Is, is it because of sound or convenience or both? Both, sound and convenience. And I listened to, I, I lived in them all because that's all I had. Cassettes, I had my Walkman up to a couple other things. And then CDs, CDs started kicking up the quality. Yeah, I don't know that 8-tracks anybody's favorite. <laughs> those were the worst. Those were those big little clunky things. Yeah, and they were really hard to like, if you wanted to listen to a song, like it was just, a, it was a lot of work. But what do you think about the reemergence of people listening to albums again? Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's great. And the albums are coming out higher quality as well. Yeah. And think about all the albums that were thrown out when everybody was moving into cassettes and then all the cassettes that were, but nobody wants cassettes. Then you need a pencil to get it to rewind. Like it's that's all, right. Yeah. And then I remember when they broke, I used to tape them together. Yeah. No, it's, it's so interesting. I have a daughter who's 13 and, you know, she just knows streaming. She doesn't know all those other options. And, you know, I actually gave her that played the game with her and she picked all the opposite things that you picked. She picked Olivia Rodrigo. She picked, we don't talk about Bruno, but that makes sense because she's only 13. So yeah, I'm, I'm so looking forward to leaving this construction world behind and moving on to the music world. Well, it seems like you're on your way, Ray. So we look forward to seeing this happen too. So why don't you share again, your social channels website before we go? Yep. So the Instagram is streetwise NYC. The website is streetwiseny.com. And then we have a streetwise Facebook, which, you know, we um, keep them all updated on what's going on. Okay. And I'm sure tour information will be there as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the Jobs Blow podcast. I'm Brianna Haas. This is the Jobs Blow podcast. We're at jobsblowpodcast.com on Instagram and Facebook at Jobs Blow podcast. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. No, thank you for having me. Maybe I got something you may like. Are you in the mood? I see you about to start you.